How many ready to enter into the teaching of the word? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand one more time. Open up your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James. And this morning, I want to share with you that my, my sermon style is going to be a little different this morning. If you've been hearing me preach for years, you're going to notice that. It's a little different this morning. Uh, where I'm going to give a lot of attention to the author, James, and then we're going to bring one point only, and then I'm going to finish off with a, a four applicational points. All right, so my sermon is a little different this morning, and the reason why I'm doing that is I want to dedicate a few Sundays to teach out of the book of James, and I feel like, hey, let's really come to know the author the best that we can so that we could understand his teachings a little bit more. So we're dedicating a lot of this sermon just to James himself, We'll have one point and then a few points of application to finish us off this morning. So uh, bear with me as, as we go through a little bit of, of history and, and uh, we talk a little bit about James himself. James chapter 1 verse 1, just one verse today, just one verse. James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this book is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The book of James is primarily written to the first Jewish Christians, the first generation of Jewish Christians. And James, as the leader of the church of, of Jerusalem, writes this epistle uh, for instruction. It's it's considered a parable of the New Testament. Gives instructions on how the Christian should live. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word today. As we begin to share with regard to a life that impacted many, I pray, Lord God, that it would move us, Lord, also to have the same experience that James has had, that our life also could impact many. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to say that the church looks beautiful, so nice to see each and every one of you. We, can, we welcome anyone who's been back from vacation that we haven't had a chance to greet you. So nice to see you this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our theme this morning is born to make an impact. Born to make an impact, and I uh, chose this theme because as we look at the life of James, we see that his life made an impact for generations till today. We're still enjoying his writings that are found in the New Testament in the Epistle James. So I, as I shared, our sermon layout is a little different. Bear with me as we go through the sermon this morning. So I want to ask, who is James? Who is James, the author of this book that we have uh, just read one verse from? Who is this James? Now, many of us know the James that walked with Jesus. There was a James, the, the brother of John, right, uh, that he walked with Jesus. They were considered the sons of Zebedee. Uh, there was a James that was one of the 12 that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, that James is not the author of this book. 
He was not one of the 12. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that that James, one of the 12, he was uh, martyred. He was actually the first apostle to be martyred. He was, uh, he was killed with the sword on order of King Herod, uh, Agrippa I of Judea. And they say that he died about 44 AD. And that's found in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So we see that James, one of the twelve, um, the brother of John, known as the sons of thunder, he was one of the three of the inner circles, inner circle of Jesus. This is not the James that wrote the book James. So who wrote the epistle James, the letter James? This letter was written about 20 years after the resurrection. So who wrote James? The Bible teaches us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mark chapter 6 verse 3 tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters and, and he even gave us the names of the brothers. Mark 6 says, and when Jesus went back to his hometown, when he went back to his hometown, um, uh, it says that they said this about him. Isn't this the carpenter? They're talking about Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And he identifies here. Mark identifies in his writings that Jesus had four brothers and sisters. He names the four brothers naming James. So we know that uh, the brother of Jesus, James, or the brothers of Jesus, the four brothers, the sisters, uh, they had the same mother, but they had a different father. Jesus had the heavenly father. And uh, the other brothers had uh, the biological father of Joseph. We see in Mark chapter 6 uh, that one of the brothers, his name is James. This is the author of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, Galatians chapter 1 verse 19, Paul affirms uh, this brother of Jesus. Paul mentions James. Uh, and, and after Paul's conversion, he identifies James, the brother of Jesus. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 19, he says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So we see here, um, and, and I'm being uh, clear with where I'm reading. For those who are taking their notes, you can jot down those Bible verses. It seems that uh, it's clear here that Jesus had a brother named James. And um, we see that the brothers of Jesus did not follow his earthly ministry. John chapter 7 verse 5 says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Uh, how, I mean, like right now in hindsight, when we look back, we think, well, how can not the blood brothers of Jesus uh, believe in him? Mark chapter 3 verse 21 says, another time in history, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. The brothers of Jesus, his family, thought 
that he was out of his mind, is what the author says. They, were, they could not comprehend what, what is Jesus teaching and, and what is he doing. The Bible teaches us, and church history affirms it, that during the first century church, that James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So James, this one who did not follow Jesus' earthly ministry, when we open up the book of Acts in chapter 15, we find him as the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He is the leader of the Jerusalem church. He is the leader, the, the council leader. He is the one that everyone now responds to, and we'll see that throughout history. Now, James, in Acts, in Acts chapter 15, we see him as this leader of the church. Church history teaches us, and the Bible affirms it, that after Jesus' resurrection, James became very prominent within the church in Jerusalem. He became the leader. How does he go from this half-non-believing brother to becoming the leader of the Jerusalem church some years later? How, how does that happen? He wasn't one of the 12. He was one that did not follow Jesus' earthly ministries. But two decades later, church history and the Bible affirms it that he is the key leader within the Christian church. How did that happen? It happened because James had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Paul writes this and says, For what I received I passed on to you on the first importance that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one to be abnormally born, Paul writes. So Paul writes intentionally to say he, he appeared to 500, he appeared to the apostles, he appeared to Peter, and he also appeared to James. You see, it was an encounter that James had with the resurrected Jesus that changed his life forever. Perhaps if someone here today that is struggling in your faith, and I will share with you that it's an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changes our lives forever. See, James became the leader uh, in the church of Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and when they spoke, and when he spoke, he was like super influential. In fact, there was a debate within the Gentiles and the, and the Jewish Christians. There was a debate how to embrace the Gentile Christians, and, and there was a, some conflict there with regard to circumcision and, and other things with regard to, to law. And, and after they debated, the Bible says that James stands up and says, Listen to me. Speaking of his authority, of who he was, he became this influential 
apostle, this influential leader within the church. In fact, historians, when they write about James, they called him James the Just. That's how they identified him. Even non-biblical writings of the book of James, when it speaks of church history, when it talks about the person James, they identified him as a man of God full of wisdom. They, they identified him as James the Just. He became so influential in the church. The, the half-brother who did not follow Jesus' earthly ministry became so influential in the church. The, this key leader that the Apostle Paul calls him a pillar of the church. Galatians 2.9, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Paul writes, we all speak about the great apostle Paul. Paul writes and says, James gave me the blessing. Just talking about the influence of James. Just talking about where he, he reached. In fact, the post, uh, uh, Paul on his post-conversion experience after Paul had his encounter on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that for three years in Galatians chapter 1, he went to his hometown to study the scriptures. And I love that about the Apostle Paul because it wasn't the experience that brought him to deep conviction. It was the studying of the scripture that brought him to deep experience. It's very important that we know that when we talk about Paul, I don't want to go too far into that, but I love that about him. He saw Jesus. He heard there was an experience on his road to Damascus, and that wasn't enough for him. He went and he went into the scriptures, and he saw the living Jesus in the scriptures. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're looking for God, and you're looking for an experience. You're looking for God to open up the clouds and speak to you that way. I want to tell you that that might happen, and it's nice when it does, but more profound than that experience is to find Christ in the living scriptures. To find them in the living scriptures, right? So, Paul says after that experience, he went to his hometown for three years, and he saw none of the apostles except he came down to Jerusalem at the end for 15 days and he saw Peter and he saw James, the brother of Jesus. In fact, James became so influential that at the end of Paul's ministry, on his way back to Jerusalem, he wanted to report all the details of all the things that had happened with the Gentiles and he reports to James Acts chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So I'm trying to create a platform here this morning uh, to show you this, this person of James. That though his earthly ministry, though, though throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, James, his half-brother, did not follow him, but he had an encounter with him, and he was born to make an impact. He was born to make an impact. And, and I love that uh, we see in Scripture his influence. In fact, when Peter, you know the story of Peter in chapter 12 of Acts, that he was in prison, and miraculously the Lord delivered him from a prison? And he went running to where the Christians were praying for him. He knocks on the door. They uh, couldn't believe that it was him. There's a beautiful story. Read it during your devotional this week, Acts chapter 12. But he gets in finally and he quiets them down. 
And look what he says. Peter motions with his hand for them to be quiet and describes how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And this is what he says. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And he left for another place. That's the level of influence that James got to. This half-brother of Jesus did not follow him during his earthly ministry, but he has an encounter with him in the resurrection, and it changes his life forever. In fact, James was so influential. Now, if you remember when I mentioned the four half-brothers of Jesus, I mentioned that there was James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. Well, Jude also wrote a New Testament book. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, turn your page back 1, and you're going to find the book of Jude. It's an epistle as well, very short, only 25 verses. He also was the half-brother of Jesus, also must have had a post-resurrection experience with him, or maybe through James. Uh, history doesn't tell us about Jude's conversion, only tells us that he did not follow Jesus' earthly ministry. So we can only make the assumption either he found Jesus in the resurrection or James told him, I have seen my brother. We're not sure, but we know that in Jude, in the book of Jude, uh, it's the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes to the church to tell them, I want to write to you in verse 3 to tell you to contend for your faith. And I love that because he's encouraging them and saying, I have come to know this, and it is real. I want to encourage you to contend for your faith. Battle for your faith. What happened in Jude's life? There must have been some type of post-resurrection experience, if not with Jesus, then with his brother James. But look how he starts his 25 verses. Look at verse 1. Jude, he says this. He identifies himself. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I, I, that just, when you talk about influence, for Jude to get that letter out, he says, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus, but in case you're not sure of who I am, I'm also the half-brother. I'm also the brother of James. He, he, he's, he's letting him know this goes with authority. Why? Because I'm related to James. James was incredible. You know, when we talk about Easter and we talk about uh, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, and, and a lot of times we like to mention Paul, but James' story is as equally influential equally. The Bible allows for Paul's story because of Paul's radical pre-conversion life of, of, of persecution upon the church. But James' story is equally powerful. In fact, uh, James, the, the Bible continues, the Bible, the church history continues to tell us about James. And it tells us that he was martyred, he was killed. Uh, for the gospel, for his faith in Jesus. And he became so influential in Jerusalem uh, for, of, of the Christian church. And James was so interesting because in the same place where his brother was crucified, that's where he becomes the leader. Talk about boldness. In the same city where his half-brother and his Lord and Savior was crucified, there he becomes a prominent leader that people know. And they say it's 62 AD, some say it's 69 AD. Um, the Pharisees approached him 
And they were like, hey, and church history writes about this. And they approach him, and, and you can find it multiple historians that tell, the, that, that tell the story. And they write, and they said that the Pharisees and the scribes approached James and said, hey, can you go to the top of the pinnacle, so the top of the temple, the place where proclamations were made? Can you go to the top of the pinnacle and tell the Christians, let's minimize this Christianity a little bit. We're about to get into the Passover, and we don't want this conflict of, of these Christians and, and our law for thousands of years. You're influential, James. Can you go to the pinnacle? Can you go to the top of the temple, and can you minimize Christianity? And James goes to the top of the pinnacle and he tells them about the resurrected Jesus. He tells them, you were not going to change James' mind. He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He was not going to minimize the resurrection. And the history says that the scribes went up to the pinnacle, threw him to the ground, and they thought, that he had, they thought that he would die from that fall. And when they look at him, he quotes the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And a man comes over with a club, hits him over the head, and kills him instantly. And history says they buried him right there. James, the great apostle. When you read the book of James, I just... I just want you to know a little bit more about him. It, it helps us understand why he encouraged us to persevere for our faith. And he tells us not to give up. And uh, he gives us really good advice. Why? Because he lived this life as a key leader. James' book is written to the church. His, primarily, uh, his primary group at that time were the, the first Christian Jews. Uh, it's, it's centered on faith that works. Faith that works. That's the whole book. And, and over the next few Sundays, we're going to just pull out a few sermons from the book of James. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you today, and, and I want to share one point with you this morning. Just one point, because then your intro would be a lot longer. It helps us set the platform for the next few sermons. Just uh, one point this morning, and our point this morning is, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus is what makes the difference. Can you just uh, allow that to resonate with you for a second? Uh, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus is what makes the difference. It's not anything else. Only a real encounter with Jesus. He's alive and well today. And life changes when we have an encounter with him. We have learned from early, uh, from early church history uh, that James became this great leader and he believed in Jesus as the Son of God, as co-equal to God, the Father, God Israel, the God of Israel, um, that he came to believe in him as the only true God to the point of death, given his life for him. We know that James' encounter with the resurrected Jesus changed his life and he became the influencer, the pillar of the Jerusalem church. But not just James. When you look at the Bible and you look at all those that had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, something happened within them. Uh, and I want to quickly kind of share, what encouraged the 12 apostles to be 
these great apostles. What encouraged the 12 disciples to be these great apostles? Uh, we know that after Judas, there was one more that was chosen. Well, what, what encouraged them? They, they found, they had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. In the Great Commission, when Jesus tells them, go, you know, they understood that this was, this was the advice from God. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And they were moved by the reality that they had had an experience with the resurrected Jesus. And each and every one of them gave their lives for the gospel. Why? Because they had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. When we look at the story, there's a great story. When we look at the Bible, there's a great story of two men on their road to Emmaus. Where, where um, it was being talked about that Jesus, had that Jesus was crucified. And on their walk, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, joins them. It's a great story that is found in, in, uh, Acts, in, uh, in um, Luke chapter... It's found in Acts. Forgive me, I didn't write the verse down. I'll get it for you, though. Becky will get it for me, and I'll say it to you later. All right? It, it's found in Acts. And the two men were walking, and the resurrected Jesus came and walked with them. And they said this about it. And they said, verse 31 of that chapter, Becky. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he talked to us on the road? While he opened up the scriptures, and they rose, and, and the same hour returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and they said to them, The Lord has risen indeed, as he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And I love that they say, you know, our hearts were consumed, our hearts were on fire when... Uh, so, oh, it is Luke, Luke chapter 24. I did have it. All right, thank you, Becky. Luke chapter 24. So it's exciting to see that the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus with these two men burned within them, that conversation. We can talk about uh, the Apostle Paul and his encounter with Jesus changed his life forever. We could talk about in John chapter 21, Jesus sits with some of the disciples who were fishing, but he has a conversation with Peter and he tells Peter, Peter, do you love me? He's a, the resurrected Jesus has this conversation with Peter in John chapter 21. And Peter says, you know all things. You know that I love you. He asks him three times. And, Peter, and Jesus tells Peter, go and feed my sheep. In other words, I commission you. It was an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And James' life has changed. And so many of us today, our lives have been changed. Why? We've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And uh, uh, people have tried to discredit the resurrection, saying silly things, saying things like Jesus wasn't really dead, he was like in a coma. Others said that the disciples thought they saw Jesus, but they were hallucinating. Others said that Jesus, uh, that the disciples were uh, 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 saying that one of them, they were imposters, saying that one of them was Jesus. And they were saying silly things, like the women ran to the wrong tomb, um, and that's why they saw the tomb was empty and, and uh, they kept talking about all these type of theories to, to, to uh, uh, bring holes in, 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 uh, in the thought that Jesus really had resurrected. But the truth is that the power of the resurrection is still active today for you and for me. It's life changing. 
It's life changing. What does not change? I want to tell you that what cannot change you. Just coming to church every Sunday is not enough to change you. Um, no, you have to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus for a life change. You have to seek him out and come to know him uh, as your Lord and your Savior. As one that is alive and well. Uh, I love that you're here and I love that you're coming to church. But don't come to church because it's a religious responsibility or an obligation to you. I want to encourage you, as you come to church, what is part of our life's journey is walking and coming to know the resurrected Jesus more and more. Church in itself cannot change anyone. It could only point us to the Savior. It could only point us to the Savior. It could only tell us about Jesus. So what does not change anyone? Uh, Attending church does not change anyone. Rules and regulations don't change anybody. You know, um, we were, some of us grew up in church and we were told, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And we did our best to stick to the rules because we love Jesus. So we did our best to stick to the rules. But when we can't, when we can't keep up with all the rules, we feel condemned. We feel like we failed. We feel like we have sinned. We feel like we, we're no good for this and we can't be. Why? Because... The gospel is not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with a living Jesus, a living Savior. It's not about rules and regulations. Yes, there is a responsibility within our walk, but our responsibility is not about how righteous we live, but it's about reflecting the image of Jesus in all that we do. That is our goal in life as believers. It's not to set a standard for ourselves, because when we set a standard for ourselves and we reach it, that's when pride sits in that says, look what I have achieved. Look how I look. Look how I speak. That we come to understand that our goal is to reflect the image of Jesus where we live and where we go and, and how we stand. It changes the way we live. What does not change attending church, rules and regulation. Uh, you can be active in ministry and that will not change you. You can preach a thousand good sermons and that will not, uh, that will not change you. You can be active and you could th think, if, if I could do this and I could do that in church, you know that. No, that does not change anyone. In fact, when you engage in ministry and you haven't had a relationship with Christ, it becomes burdensome to you. But when you come to know your Savior and you engage in the work of the church, it becomes a pleasure for you. It's a pleasure for you because you've come to know the Savior, right? Being active won't, won't, won't change anyone. Good administration doesn't change anyone. The only thing that could help us as, as individuals, as men, as women, as youth, as children, as, is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. It's the only thing that can change us, just like James, and just like the others, and just like many of us who are here today. Only an encounter with the resurrected Jesus can change us. And the church says, Amen. So I just want to finish our thought here in the next few minutes with four applicational points. Four applicational points. The first one is, because of our encounter with the resurrected Jesus, number one, his agenda becomes our agenda. His agenda becomes our agenda. As the Father sent him, he sends us. 
That's what he told the disciples. As the Father has sent me, now I send you. His agenda becomes our agenda. His agenda is about helping those who are in need, helping the outcast, helping the sick, helping the vulnerable. It's about the reflecting his image of goodness and kindness and generosity to a lost world. That is the agenda that he came with. And I love that the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, you are now Christ's ambassadors. You now have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And he reminds us of this. Jesus' agenda is now our agenda. He told Peter, Peter, if you love me, go feed my sheep. Go care. If you love me, if you love me, go care for my sheep. He tells his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we have had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, his agenda becomes our agenda. And we live a life here on earth that represents him and only him. I pray this morning that our prayer would be, Lord, let your agenda be my agenda. I pray that, I pray, Lord, that, that we as a church, as individuals, as people, that, that our passion and our desire would be for the things that are in your heart, oh God. That the longing of our heart would be the longing of the things that are in the heart of Jesus. And when we think that way, it's not just about us, but it's about the other. I pray that as the church, we will long for the agenda of Jesus. That we can say, like the prophet said, Lord, send me. I ask you this morning, would you commit to that prayer? Would you commit to praying in the morning and asking the Lord, Lord, let your agenda be my agenda. Would you make that prayer in the morning? Would you be so vulnerable before the Lord in the morning to say, God, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Less of me and more of you that you would lead and that I would follow, oh God. When we've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, his agenda becomes our agenda. And we can see that in the life of James. Number two, a second applicational point. Because of the encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we are willing to deny ourselves for the gospel. Because of our encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we're willing to deny ourselves for the gospel. James gave his life for the gospel. He denied himself to that point of giving his life. Jesus tells his disciples, if you wish to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. At times, we want the gospel to be an easy gospel. We, don't pressure me too much in church. Don't ask me to do too much. Don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to sacrifice my time. I'm here because I, I just need to get myself right. And that's okay. But we have to know that our encounter with Jesus will also challenge us and bring us to a place to recognize not only his saving grace but his lordship over our lives yes. yes we come to him because of our brokenness and our need of him 
and we come to him vulnerable that says, Lord, I need you. I need my sins forgiven. I need restoration. I need healing. But something begins to happen in the person that has an encounter with Jesus and he begins to realize that this is a faith that begins to work its way in me and begins to come out of my pores. Begins to get me ready to live a life that pleases him. And in pleasing him, we will be called to deny ourselves. Thankfully, in the place that we live today, we don't deal with persecution like others in our faith deal with in different parts of the world, where many have had to give their lives up or give their freedom up for the gospel. In the, in the place where we live, we have freedom to speak and freedom uh, to live and, and declare our faith but we're still called to make sacrifices, to deny ourselves. Denying ourselves uh, is a reminder to us that, that, yes, for the gospel, we will be called to make some sacrifices, some simple sacrifices at times. Like, I know that we have the right to get a good night's sleep. I know we have that right to get a good night's sleep. But are you willing to give up a little time of sleep to be in the presence of the Lord. I know that we have the right to go out to dinner with our families and spend a good amount of money on our meal. We have that right. But are we willing to give it up once in a while so that another family could have that night out? Right? I know that we have the right to stay home and rest after a long day at work, but are we willing to give up our restful night once in a while to go out and encourage someone else? I know that we have the right to avoid hard conversations when people speak against what we believe. We have the right not to say nothing, but are we willing to stand up and speak for what we know is just, regardless of the consequences? You see, the gospel that we live will call us to deny ourselves at times. And I could put a list of things that we may be challenged to deny ourselves. The question is today, are we willing to deny ourselves for the gospel. Jesus did it for us. He left the right hand of the Father and he wrapped himself up in flesh and he became man for you and for me. He surrendered his right at the right hand of the Father so that you and I one day could stand at the side of the Father as well. And he did this for us. Are we willing to make a sacrifice for him? An encounter with the resurrected Jesus will call us to deny ourselves. Are you committed to saying a prayer in the morning that says, Lord, help me to recognize the things that you're calling me to sacrifice? Are we willing to say a prayer in the morning that says, Lord, help me to recognize the things that you're calling me to sacrifice, the things you're calling me to give up, the, the things you're calling me to surrender, to render unto you, Lord. Can we say a prayer sincerely? When we've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we've come to under, understand that God calls us to deny ourselves at times. And the church says, number three, because of our encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we can now live a forgiven life. 
a forgiven life. James did not start off well. As we read, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, his brother, but he finished well. He didn't start off well, but he finished well. Um, our, our past doesn't define us. The power of the resurrection brings life to God's will in our lives. Our past doesn't define us. Our past sins doesn't define us. How we live now will define us. How we live now. How we live now once we've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Maybe you didn't have a good start. It's not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. Many people in the scripture did not have good starts, but they finished well. Many of us who are sitting in these pews today did not have a good start, but we are working on finishing well. The Bible says we are new creations in Christ. So I want to tell you today, don't give up. Maybe you're struggling in your walk, in your faith. Don't give up. An encounter with Christ brings you to a place of forgiveness, of restoration. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus offers you a new life in Christ Jesus. I love that it says the old is forgotten. You're not a better you. You're a new you. And it's wonderful to know that before the eyes of God, we are new creations. Maybe you're here today. I want to remind you that Jesus suffered the cross for you this morning. He forgave our sins and wiped them away. He remembers them no more. Maybe you're here today and you're battling with where you are today. Today can be a day where you have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and your life changes forever. And the church says, our last point this morning of application, our encounter with the resurrected Jesus brings purpose to our lives. I love James' story. He became the pillar, the influencer, the leader of this great church. His life impacted many. Uh, James became this great leader. God is looking for anyone to be an influencer in his kingdom, not just the first 12. Today, you and I, we can be influencers. We can impact many. I want to suggest to you today that God wants to use you. He wants to use me to be an impact to many. And it's only an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that allows us that opportunity. Could our prayer be, Lord, help me to be an influencer of others? Could our prayer be, God, help me to mentor others? Could our prayer be, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit would flow through us, uh, your word of wisdom and encouragement and knowledge? Father, uh, would we pray, Lord, would you help us to manage our homes in a way that, that impact others, that people would say, there's something about that home, there's something about that family, that our counsel to others would be refreshing to them. We were born to impact many. Can I invite you to stand this morning? Born to impact many. As we look at the life of James and we see the impact that he had, I pray today that we would also long to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling in your faith. I want to tell you that Jesus he is alive and well. And He is still available to touch and change our lives forever. forever. 
Let us pray, Lord. Let our agenda be your agenda. Let us pray, Lord. Help us to deny ourselves. Let us pray, Lord. Help me, Lord, to forgive myself of my past and embrace this new life that you have for me. Let us pray, Lord, that your purpose would be done in our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, what am I born for? What am I born for? Humanism says we're born, we live, we have children, we die, and it's all over. But I want to tell you today, what are you born for? You're born to impact many and in, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus takes us to a place, positions us to impact many. As I get ready to close out our teaching this morning, maybe there's someone here today who says, God is talking to me. Um, uh, God is talking to me. I, I want to be an instrument. I want to be a vessel. I want to impact many. We've learned through the life of James that we may not always have the best start, but we can finish well. We've learned through the life of James an encounter with Jesus will take us to places that we never could imagine. And as he takes us there, oh, he'll do wonderful works in our lives as, as we submit to his agenda. As we are ready, ready to, to make sacrifices and deny ourselves to embrace his forgiveness and to recognize that he has a purpose for us. There and only there will our life, will we find a place to grasp all that he has done in us and through us to impact many. If you're here today and you're not saved, you're here today and you haven't said a prayer of faith, today is the day of salvation for you. Today. Today you will see that God will do something in your life like never before. Like He did it for James, He'll do it for you. I promise you that your future days will be better than your past days with Jesus. I promise you that. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, as we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to be so bold and come to the altar. I want to pray with you. Our pastors want to pray with you. And if you're a part of the church already, you're saved and you're part of the church, but the Lord is, is really stirring something up in you that's special this morning and you feel like you want prayer for application, as we sing this next song, the altar is also open for you this morning. God bless you. God keep you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life.